This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got today? Everyone thinks that their job isn't great, or they begrudge their job. They say, oh, I wish I could do something else. Basically, give you something today that you're going to look back and be like, well, maybe my job's not too bad after all, after looking at some of these other ones that we're going to look at today. Some of these uh, gruesome historical jobs that you know don't exist anymore. Some do, believe it or not, but just horrible jobs in history that there's no way you would want to do them and be happy that whatever your job is, it's not a leech collector or a thing like a that. Or a room of the stool. Or you know, right, vomit, vomit collector and stuff like that. So there's oh, a lot Jesus. of things out there that um, these worst jobs in history, basically. And yes, before people start saying we are aware that there was a worst, or there is, I think it's still on, a worst job in history um, TV show. Well, I didn't know that was a thing until I started doing research for this, to be honest with you. I so. remember seeing it. It's on, it's on like a, the BBC, I think. It's, it's a British TV show. Okay. It's different from uh, the TV show Mike with Mike Rowe, right? Dirty Jobs, yeah, yeah. similar, I'm sure, but it's the worst job in history, which they do talk a lot about, like rat catchers. Some of the yeah, stuff yeah. We're, we're looking at today too, is where I'm sure they did episodes on it, but it's a much bigger production than what, than what we do. Hey, stop it! This is an awesome production. <laughs> Having yes. said that, though, um, yeah, I think this is Tom. I think this is like a pick me up podcast. I mean, after I started reading this, I was like, you know what? I felt some jobs in my life that I was not like too enthusiastic about, but like I don't think uh, you know any of that comes. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not going. I pass up any of the, any of the jobs on this list. By the way, what do you think was your worst job? I don't know why I did a lot of, I know when I, when I worked in the furniture department of a store that was on the second floor and there was no elevator, that wasn't always fun, but I was also like 17. So it's kind of say. like, <laughs> so be it. You know, those are kind of like the jobs that you had yeah. there. But you know, you know, they always say the most difficult job is when you were holding the flashlight for your dad. That is a very so true project, statement. Oh man, how many the, times I got smacked. <laughs> that's the, that's probably the most difficult job you could possibly have. And you know, that, that gets, makes you tough right there. So right it's there. probably very similar to all the ones that we're going to emotionally triggering as, as 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 bad as some of the ones that we're going to be looking at today but i, I think you know it's funny because i think that's that's different now like now i ask my kid to hold a flashlight he like takes his phone out presses the button and he texts while he's holding it i'm like this is just ridiculous this changes everything like go it's away a, give me a real flashlight sorry. what is they don't, they, they don't understand the uh the horrors they don't of the 1980s they do not they do not my worst job probably i worked at a, a hand car wash you know, I was like 14, 15. It was my first job, 14. And I was, uh, that was a pretty intense job. Isn't that like um, child labor laws, man? You well, 14 is, you're allowed to work. That was like my you first gotta, job. I stopped by and I was like, can I get a job? And they're like, sure. And then it like worked me to like near death. And I was like, oh, this is tough. This is tough. It's tough. You have, to, you have to wear like a bathing suit and stuff and they sprayed you with water? <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know, that's, it was a show every day. <laughs> that's awkward, man. You might want to see what I want to talk to someone uh, about that. Oh my God! All right, let's do this. <laughs> All right, you want to get us? You want to get us started, or you want you want me to get us started? I mean, go ahead. You can start like, first. I feel I always start. So go ahead. You, you can. All start right. Well, uh, you know, I want to start with the one I mentioned before, which is groom of the stool. Um, yeah. So this apparently started in like Henry the Seventh, right? Um, and it wasn't actually. It was around until 1901. Edward the Seventh abolished it, but basically, groom of the stool. I mean, think about it, right? It required the holder to take the monarch to the toilet like if that was your job your job was to bring the king to the toilet and then you had to basically check whatever is going on 
you know, down in that area. And then after the king was done, you had to clean him up. As they say that as gross as that sounds, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything positive there. But apparently it was a very prestigious post in the kingdom because you had the most one-on-one time and a unique access to the royal. Like definitely unique. They said, I would say that. Yeah, yes, that would say unique. unique. That's a good one. But the fact that like people thought it was just like prestigious, like this is oh man, like I'm the groom of the stool, like because you finally got the one-on-one time with the royal, and yeah. you could somehow like you know shape his mind. Yeah, you know, could be worse. Yeah, but again, well, I abolished think, in 1901, Tom. 1901. Yeah, I know. King a- King Edward VII is the one who said, "You know what? We're going to stop this." But it was a big. <laughs> it was a prestigious job, like you were talking about too. I, I was reading a lot about it, as far as the. It was also um, you would talk with the king about his bowel movements, basically, and you would and you would um, go over his diet with him and stuff like that. Like it was, it was an important job, yeah. And you had a lot of oh, power. Man. That that was your role, and it was at a very important uh, time. I guess it's very similar. You heard of stories, right? Like LBJ used to always like hold meetings when he was on the bathroom. Yep, or naked, so, or skinny dipping yeah. in a pool so, while he's holding so those cabinet meetings. I guess you know little similarities there. Yeah, but yeah, definitely a job that you I would not want. It's not it doesn't no. sound like it would be a uh, a fun one. Boy, you want to go to Whipping Boy? I saw it, but I don't have. All it right, so mind. Whipping Boy, it's kind of very similar with the idea of like we said, holding a flashlight for your dad. So you're not allowed to hit a royal. Like you're just not allowed. Like that was that's a rule, right? Because especially yes. a lot of royals are considered like chosen by God. You know, they're above human beings. So because you couldn't really hit a royal, well, what if you have like a little prince that is basically not being a good person or is being, you know, like not behaving appropriately? Yeah, like Joffrey. Well, right, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones. Um, well, if you're a tutor or a teacher or even a, someone that has to take care of this, this child that happens to be royalty, you weren't allowed to hit them. So what they did is they would get sons of different noblemen, which apparently was like a very, very prestigious as well for your child. So these noblemen would give up their children that would become whipping boys. And basically they would hang around. And if the king needed to be punished, the whipping boy would be beaten as a result. Like they would take the punishment for the prince. And they said it was very similar to like the groom of the soul in the sense that also very desirable apparently by the parents um, of these little boys, because then the boys would grow up knowing the future king and potentially it would lead to some form of, you know, not dowry, but some kind of bonuses in life going forward. But, I mean, a whipping boy, your job was to get beaten. Just standing? Well, I guess it didn't require much talent, right? No, but it's going to definitely scar you. <laughs> I mean, you're, that's yeah, probably you where would... the term comes from, right? You're just a whipping boy. You just stand there and take it. That was your job, right? Your job was Crazy. just to take the beating. And that's it. You're a right. whipping boy. And right, what do you well, got? Someone who definitely has to have a whip, I guess, a whipping boy mentality for his next job is one I mentioned a little bit in the opening, right? The vomit collector. Mm. So there's this rumor that it's um, basically a myth that the Romans had these rooms dedicated just for regurgitating food. That wasn't true. But what happened was they would have these massive feasts and it was commonplace to just consume so much food that you actually could uh, – throw up that you would throw up because it was considered rude to leave the table so a lot of these individuals they would throw up in these special receptacles or just onto the floor this whole point is you couldn't interrupt you know whatever was going on and it required the service of a special uh collector right the vomit collector that would come around and clean all this up because again no one wants it there 
So that would be your job. You'd empty out the receptacle or if it was just on the floor, you'd have to come around and clean it up. And you were basically just waiting around watching these people just stuff their mouths with as much food, regurgitate it, and then they would you go clean it up and they would just eat more. They were like, great, I made room. I can keep on eating. Yes. It's crazy. Pretty much what their job was. So imagine how like these well, five-star like, restaurants today, oh. you just go around and picking up a vomit. Well, uh, like you mentioned, the idea was a lot of people just wanted to eat more. So it was like after they ate, they're like, ah, oh, I want to eat more. <laughs> like, let's puke this out real quick, make yeah. some room, and let's like eat again. Freedom up. Freedom oh, up. Talking about eating, uh, you, I'm sure you saw the Sin Eaters. The Sin Eaters, yes. Oh, yeah. You, you, you want to do this one? This one's pretty gross, too. Um, so they say they were, which was like the 18th century. And yeah, Wales, yeah, in England, yeah, they really. Were, they would hire a sin eater to absorb all of your wrongdoings. So what the workers would do is they would take on the uh, misdeeds of the deceased, and they would do this by eating some bread that was placed on the dead person's chest. So that, that itself sounds a little crazy, but the process was like a little bit more intense. This is all about like purging of their soul, right? Yeah, so the yeah, yeah. cities were, were common in Wales. Like they would soak up the moral worn doings of these people. And that's what they would do. They basically would eat this bread off of the, the dead corpse. Dead bodies. They believe that all like the um, the sins would get absorbed into this bread. And then you know, they would leave it there. It wasn't just like, you know, five minutes. This was there for a while. They basically eating these spoiled, rotten bread and stuff like that. And that was your job to eat this bread that was rotting with the corpse, basically. So like, the, to like, that's get crazy. rid of the sins. I don't know how they even yeah. think this stuff up, though. Like, like this is going to be something. I guess it's a. It's, it wasn't a religion. This wasn't religious. Well, like, it was because of sins, but like it wasn't well, like sins, a religious. Yeah. But it wasn't like something I like the church or anything was like preaching. It was this is this is just your job, right? Like, that's what I sort of saw. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, what if you're the guy that ate the sins? Like, what you screwed now? Like, what you going to hell right well, yeah, now? Yeah, like, it was basically this. Per- yeah. It was basically this person is willing to take on your sins for you. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't think yeah. this was a job that, like, I guess was only like the rich could afford. I'm not sure how well you got paid for it, but I don't think like poor people were hiring a sin eater. You know? Yeah. Well, it was since we're talking about to dead... ensure you were going to heaven, I guess. Yeah. Since we're talking about dead bodies, uh, body snatchers. I feel like I've learned about this numerous times through history, just doing research. But uh, again, 1800s, same thing. Medicine is growing and advancing as a field in such a quick capacity. That there, there's new theories and practices that like revolutionize the entire like, you know, I, I guess study of medicine in the human body. Well, the problem is that there's a lot of medical students now that are into this, but they need cadavers. They basically yes. need to get dead bodies that they could um, perform autopsies on to learn more about the human body. Well, the issue in England was that in 19th century only. Um, executed criminals were allowed to be given for medical purposes. And it was usually around 100 or a little, maybe even fewer than than 100 people being killed as being executed as criminals in the UK per year at the time. So that was not enough to meet the demand. So basically, it was a new business that came out and it was the business of body snatching. And you would have these resurrection men, as they were called, and they would literally dig up fresh or sometimes not so fresh, but mostly freshly buried bodies and sell them off to different universities and, and, you know, medical professions. And they got like really good at it. So like they would do it in a way that you, the point is you want to not really disturb the soil so much because you don't want to alert the actual family that this happened. 
So they got like really good at stealing bodies, which they would then sell to science. And the thing is that these universities, you know, they should have reported these people because body snatching, it was considered a, a crime, but none of these medical institutions reported them because they were happy to be getting bodies. I mean, yeah, that was what they did. Yeah. And back then, though, if you had like a skeleton in like these medical universities, it was a real human skeleton. Um, there were um, a lot of serial killers. What was the one? The guy who had the, with the murder castle, I think we talked about it on a previous yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what he would do. Ago. That's what he would do. He, he would literally just, um, Ed Holmes or something like that. He, was, he would literally just sell the skeletons to Cadavers. universities. Yeah. And they were like, awesome. Crazy. Great. We got, we got another one. Yeah, we got another one. You know? Do you remember there was a story with uh, Ben Franklin, how they were doing a dig on Ben Franklin's. Um, under his house in Philadelphia years ago, and they've discovered like bodies, and they're like, "What is this?" And then there was like, a, "Well, maybe he was actually buying cadavers to do some because you know Ben Franklin was like Renaissance." Yeah, they would, that's what they would do. He would. He was probably like checking some dissect stuff out. them and stuff. Yeah, that's Nuts. how I do things back then. So body snatchers—that's another one. Yeah, not one I would want to get into. Um, so we talked about obviously when you're young, you do some physical work, right? I know you worked you worked with like laying stones and stuff like that. Yeah, I worked with my dad. Like, yep. I worked with like the furniture stores and stuff. But um, one that was uh, definitely backbreaking work, literally, is a um, galley rower. This basically you see those movies like like Ben Hur, like, you know, see like this um, people like rowing these giant boats and stuff like that. And a lot of times you see that you know the Romans, the Greeks, uh, they were like that they used slaves to um, row these boats and stuff like that. But in actuality, that, that rarely happened. You don't really want to use a slave like that. And the analogy I saw a lot was like, you wouldn't want a slave or like someone who was like forced to forced to do that any more than you would want them running like a tank or something like that. So usually um, if they were slaves, the condition was if you win the battle, you're free. Because this, these were basically the engines to the, um, to the boat, right? To the ship. Mm-hmm. But it was backbreaking work. Literally, you would break your back. It was hot. It was... Um, it, it was just you, you were malnourished just because of the amount of cows you were burning. But again, they typically did feed you because again, the naval cap, the naval commanders were like, "You're our engine. We need you to be alive." But you didn't have any sort of um, housing or food given to you when you were on land. It was kind of just like that's it. You only only when you're in the boat. And um, the average life expectancy, you, most of them died within three years doing this, Nuts. just from like the literally the back. Oh, they were crippled. Just from like the constant rowing and, you know, they didn't give them proper breaks and stuff like that. And it was just one of those things that just took people out. But it was uh, actually a very common job because it was one that if you could row, you that, that was a job you could do. And it was always pr- promise of greater things, but it was one of those jobs that uh, didn't exactly, you wouldn't survive very long doing. Yeah. So my dad was actually a, a rowing champion of Poland uh, a couple years in a row uh, back in the late 70s. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, he, like, won medals and champion of Poland. Um, but he sure. said when he was younger, he started rowing. And was like, oh, you got to get into sports. It's so good for you, you know, and the rowing's perfect. And, and, you know, that was his career as a professional athlete. And then by the time he was, like, 30, he couldn't get out of bed. Like, he needed shots into his back. Like, it was just, like, you know, it is backbreaking. It's kind of nuts. It's just the motion, the constant motion. It's, especially, yeah. like, it was one thing – Back then, too, I'm sure they didn't have like the proper techniques and stuff like that. And it wasn't Ugh. like you know, monitored or anything like that. It was just you do it until you can't do it anymore. That's it. Done. Crazy. Next. Uh, talk about another sucky job leech collector. I'm sure you saw I this one. This one, yes. So, leeches were very popular as a healing method in Europe, you know, in history. 
so essentially the idea here was that you, you know the bloodletting it would attach leeches to a sick person they would drink their blood and supposedly along with it would take away the sickness whatever the sickness may be um so how do you actually get these crawlers how do you get these leeches well the best way to get them is to actually have them attach themselves to you um and then you take them off but it's not as easy as it sounds so this was um there was actually farms um that were like designed to do this when a farm so you had groups like of bogs, usually, yeah, bogs. yeah and it was usually women that did this and what they would do is they would um, get undressed and they would slowly make their way through like filthy swamp water and you would allow the leeches to latch themselves onto the legs and the whole body but then the terrible thing is if you try to remove the leech right if you try to pull it off then the teeth did detach themselves and like stay behind so the leech is worthless at that point right um, and your wound gets worse because the teeth stay behind. So what these women had to do is they had to walk through these swamps. Then they had to get out with leeches all over them. And then they had to stand there and wait for the actual leeches to get full of blood and themselves detach themselves, really. And before that, and once that happened, then they could gather them up and basically be like, yeah, we got leeches. And then they would go back and do it all over again. Like, talk about a sucky job. Anyway, leech collector. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Not fun. Well, another one um, that was um, gross that like reading about, and of course, so some of these websites listed this one a couple of times, but then showed kind of like reenactment pictures. I was like, why would you do this? Was a fuller. I'm sure you saw yeah. this one. <laughs> the idea is that um, it's to help with wool. So wool is naturally waterproof, right? Because of the oils and stuff in it and from mm-hmm. the sheepskin. And um, the grease was also what was made the harvesting, carting, spinning, and the woven process run smoothly, particularly in the Middle Ages. But the cloth that the cloth that resulted from this was like coarse a lot of times. It was like um, meshy and could fray very easily. So to solve this problem, the grease had to be removed from the cloth with an alkaline solution. Nowadays we have chemistry, <laughs> modern chemistry. You can make out, yeah. you can do that pretty easily. Um, the cheapest and most abundant alkaline solution back in the Middle Ages was urine, but not any type of urine, stale urine. So what a yeah. fuller's job was to do was to was to place freshly woven links of wool into a um, into a tub, pour in stale urine, and then stomp it with their feet in order to get in there. And the whole idea, though, was that this urine had to come from multiple people because you needed gallons of it. So they would go to public toilets and collect it. Think about going like a porter john, collecting all the uh, stale urine in there, putting it on a in a bucket, and then just stepping in it repeatedly yeah. for long periods repeatedly of time for like hours yeah, yeah hours and so if i think like you know when they make like how they used to see the old videos and then when they make like wine right with the grapes and stuff like that yeah that's basically what they're doing when they're doing it with urine and they had to go they even went to private homes would like knock on your door and be like hey do you have any still urine we can get dude this is my job i'm gonna go step on it for a couple hours right nuts, so nuts. again don't do that now don't need to do that now thanks to uh, chemistry modern chemistry yeah i don't know yeah. that that one would kind of i think just like the I'm not trying to get graphic, but I guess I am. Just the odor. Just thinking about it, I'm like, imagine. It yeah. would just some be of these jobs, like looking at it. 
it was like they, they were all well, just like body fluid as yeah and it has to be health hazards like you, there's no way you're not getting sick doing that like some of these things like the leaching too and the fuller and, and like you, you're gonna get sick you're gonna get something that's just we just know that that's just how these things work you know you're like a master of transitions today, by the way, because talking about getting sick in like unsanitary conditions, I want to go into medieval barbers or rather barber surgeons. Barber surgeons, um, yes, which use the leeches, among other things. Yeah, right. So a lot of people, you know, today you go to the barber and like if you have a good barber, I guess at one point they'll take out a straight razor, you know what I mean? And like they'll actually start like trimming around your hairline, whatever, but when you used to go to a barber in medieval times in Europe, they were basically doctors. There were doctors, dentists, general curer, you know, like cure people. Anything, yeah, anything. Um, anything. You had an issue, you went to it. And, and actually, this stems from the fact that in medieval healing, apparently, it would, you used to go to church and priests that would um, like heal you. You know, they were like the doctors, but they weren't allowed to shed blood, apparently, based on religion. So that's why the surgery aspect was passed on to like the next best thing, and that was the barber surgeon. So if you went to a barber, you went there, and you're like, I need a haircut, and I need you to pull this rotten tooth out from the back. And they would like take pliers. There's, I mean, there's nothing clean about this. And just pull. They would, um, you would go in there and be like, oh, I feel really sick. So they were like, literally, if, like a lot of times they would just have open wounds. They would cut you up and let some blood out. But if you could pay a little extra, they could use leeches on you so there was no cutting. They would apply like heated cups on your back, all that stuff. The idea was to just like nothing sterile about it. You went to the barber when you were sick. Like you didn't go to the doctor. You went to the barber. It's They're good with their hands, Pete. They're good with their hands. Man. I mean, That's I like matters. my barber, but man. Anyway, I thought that one was kind of uh, that was kind of interesting too. The Gong Farmer, did you see that one? Yes. Gong Farmer, essentially, there's no really modern plumbing. So back in the day, wherever people went, a lot of times people went into like outhouses, or they went to in a, and like they literally would dig up a hole and just go into a hole. Um, this is like Tudor England. So you had these crap holes and outhouses, and someone had was so one person's job was really to. I mean, it's fairly simple. You had to walk around. And your job was to collect crap. You would actually, a lot of people would actually die from fumes because they would really go down into, okay, you had these like holes, I guess, right? That would fall down into like a sewer-esque thing. And these people would climb down, crawl in all this because you would actually get paid based on the weight of how much crap you were able to take out of the city. So like backbreaking labor, but you wanted to collect as much excrement as you could so you know you got the most weight what else you got i mean some of them get a little better they're not good yes well on this one i think is definitely worse job let's get away from some disgusting just as something like that really dangerous and one of them that's a job that's still today a little different but i was basically um miners right yeah um it's not a but particularly salt miners that one was popping up a lot so like mining itself, like coal mining is, you know, roughly 10% of people who are a coal miner are going to suffer from black lung after 25 years automatically. But as awful as that sounds, like salt mining actually adds even more hardships to it because of the salt and it's, it um, induces like severe dehydration in the miners. It takes even years, years off of them. And if you look, there was a 2016 study when they examined 2000 um, ancient Roman skeletons found in a salt mine. And uh, most of them died at the age of 30. And they were suffering from severe arthritis at the time of their um, death. And it was just simply because of the um, dehydration that they were experiencing from working these salt mines, you know, hours and hours on end. And it's um, 
they think of these particular ones die because it's also really susceptible to outbursts of um, carbon dioxide or methane gas, which would just quickly just, you know, knock you out and kill you. And that's basically what they think happened to those, these, uh, these 2000 skeletons that they found in this salt cave. But um, yeah, it was just a horrible way because you would just slowly like, you think about being like dehydrated from the inside out and it was just severe arthritis and just pain. And it was just like a slow, painful way to, to die. And again, backbreaking work. Well, for me, I'm claustrophobic, so like, I wouldn't survive even walking in there. We were in the, we were, when we were in Poland this summer, we went to like the salt mine, however many you know stories underground, and I was having like a low key panic attack. Yeah, with these yeah. salt mines, salt mines now don't they have them for like, like not mines, but salt rooms? It's like a type of like a therapy, right? Like to help you for like allergies and stuff like that. Hmm. I guess it's like short term. Short term is probably I yeah, guess. Yeah, you don't want to hang out there too long. Yeah, or it could be good, but yeah, you're in there too long. It's just gonna like destroy you like the human it just sucks out the moisture that's it mm. that's your um, job so this one's not bad either, right this one's not bad either i mean again these not are bad. sucky jobs but uh did you see the uh punk walla where you're basically like a human fan um oh, so punk walla's job there. was to be literally a human fan and they said that this was during mostly you could see it during the british rule in india and pakistan where ceiling fans um were kind of just becoming an invention but they were not motorized by any means so you had a ceiling fan but there was like a punk walla was would basically spend their time standing in one spot and you, they would pull this like control like the, this the string and lever to have the fan operate and keep it going you know so this was like the advancement from back in the day when you see like egyptian times where there was someone that's just like moving this big leaf or something here you have a ceiling fan but there's no motor for it so you have a person that literally stood there all day their job was to just keep on fanning their master like to keep them cool uh tedious Backbreaking job. You're a slave, so not like you have a really a choice. As terrible as that sounds, but yeah, punk wallet. So not not bad, but a terrible job. Well, another one that I saw was um, takes place during the well, several times in history pops up. Obviously, whenever there, there was an outbreak of the plague or Black Death, and it was the uh, work of a, it was a plague bearer, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, but why so, would you sign up for that? I read that too. Like, why would you, I guess, the, I mean, you're not going to you live. You're not surviving this. You're not going to job. So they were basically burials they had organized by community leaders, but they worked, you know, and there was so many people dying. So the government hired plague bearers and um, their job was to search for and carry and bury the, the plague, the dead. And they were um, often housed in churches to keep them separate from the rest of society. Um, there was obviously had the risk of infection, which came with the job. But they also had to contend with like the stench and the, the festering wounds and stuff like that, and just endless corpses. And we know that that just takes like you know certain pe- people, most people, it's just going to affect your psyche. You just are around death constantly, and that's their job. They're just going around looking to see where people basically just drop dead from the plague. And right, I'm going to load them in this horse and carriage, and then go bury them. That's my job. Yeah, but did again, you notice? I don't, I don't know how you don't get infected. Well, that's the thing. Another thing that's crazy is that once you took that job throughout the day, they made you stay locked in with the rest of the bodies. Like you collected yeah, the bodies and you brought them into else. the courtyard and they're like, yeah, you're not spreading. You're staying here. So like, I don't, I guess if you had money for your family, that's what you're working for. Because I mean, you you have to know you're not surviving that. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But it's also know. one of those things like they have to like, like they're telling you, you can't go anywhere else because you're getting infected. <laughs> and you're still like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you see match girls? I saw Basically, that where manufacture matches, right? Supposedly, it's it's not disgusting at all, but because you ba- you all you really have to do is you have to dip a short stick of wood right into this phosphorus solution. But the uh, the problem was, and they realized this 
you know, shortly thereafter, is that if you've been on a job for a few years, again, very monotonous job, just dipping these sticks, you would inhale that phosphorus material. And then what would happen by inhaling this, you would get what is known as fossy jaw. And the gums of like of your jaw would start to give off this like foul smelling discharge because you're breathing this stuff in through your mouth so much that eventually this absorption of phosphorus would cause women's jaws to not only just smell, but also start to literally glow. And they said that the only real treatment was to remove the entire jawbone, which that kind of makes me think of that um, um, painting clock girls, uh, radium girls. That's what it was, the, the radium, radium girls. girls. Yes, radium girls. Yeah, and that was in New Jersey. You know, I yeah. had no idea. It was in Orange in New Jersey. And actually that land for, so radium girls, just FYI, uh, female factory workers, and they're contracted radiation poisoning because they were painting watch dials for like the self-luminous paint using, you know, so that way it glows at night, the, the dials. And they weren't actually told that you know, obviously what they were doing, that radiation was going to cause them anything. And a lot of time what they would do is they, they thought it was like paint. And sometimes they would wet the brush with like their tongue and then go back to painting. The main factory issue was in Orange, New Jersey. And what started to happen is their jaws started to completely deteriorate. Like to the point that like their mouths would fall off. Yeah. Yeah, Like they would fall off. Gruesome, gruesome, gruesome stuff. Um, Yeah. This, they were known as radium girls and talk about a bad job. And that one's not even that late. That's like 1920s. They wound up, you know, suing the company. There's a lot of crazy stuff about it. Actually, ironically, I'm pretty sure my son just auditioned for a school play about the radium girls just like this afternoon. I'm like, that's gotta be a sad play. Radium girls. Yeah. Yeah. Why not do like Greece? I don't know. That's a high school play. Yeah, he's a high school player. Radium Girls. Yeah, he, okay. he auditioned for it today. <laughs> he's like supposed good. to audition for like the lawyer part. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Anyway. So yeah, Radium Girls. Uh, side note. Um, well, anything else? What else we got? I mean, I there's, mean, there's, there's, there's t- Let's tons. do a couple more old school ones and maybe we'll finish off with like some new ones that are considered bad well, the jobs. The one that I thought was, um, it kind of works with the, uh, with a saying, right? You've heard of the, like a, a nitpicker? Mm-hmm. Right, so this actually was a, was the name of a job uh, many years ago during the like medieval period where that was someone's job. What they would do is they would the wigs were very popular because people had wigs during that during that time period for a variety of reasons. And um, your job as a nitpicker was to go through the wigs because the, on the fibers, lice would often be there. They would live off of the dry skin from like the scalps and stuff like that. And your their job was to comb through and use lavender oils, which they don't really think did anything. But um, to get rid of and remove all the lice, you had to you know, weave through and look for all the lice that was inside of these wigs. So that, that was your job. You have a pile of wigs, all right, de-lice it. And it wasn't like you spray and clean. You had to actually go through the fibers and look for the lice and pull them out and then brush them and stuff like that. Mm. That just gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about all those little, like, bugs and Ooh. stuff. You're a little kid, like the nurse comes and check, you used to check your head for lice. That's what you're doing. You're just doing that all the time. I like random people's wigs. If one that popped up too for me was like bone grubber. Victorian cities, right? You would scavenge yeah, basically for bones. Lesson. Yeah, like and this could be dog bones, animal bones, Anything. any type of bones, but any form of bones you could find. So you would look through garbage piles, stockyards, anywhere. You would just try to find bones, whether it was animal bones, cat, dog, human, um, and you would wind up going and finding these bones, cleaning them, and you would eventually sell them. Um, to companies that would turn them into toothbrush handles, uh, teething rings for children, bones, like legit bones. You so like your that. job was... Te- like you said it very nonchalantly, thing. teething rings for children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found this yeah. dog bone. It's going to be perfect for uh, for little uh, little baby Petey here to chew on later. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, how we roll. That's how we roll. 
You want to do anything else? I mean, well, let's, let's get to some modern. Go ahead, go, do a modern one, and then we'll just like, yeah. Let's look. I mean, close it up. I mean, they say worse jobs, and it's fine. These these like are probably bad. Don't get me wrong. I I wouldn't know, uh, but looking at like today's worst jobs, uh, they don't really compare to the stuff we just talked about. No, well, they're a lot like, more based on like wage, or they're based on just like yeah, work and different. Like, like they say, that. the number one worst job you could have in the modern world is being a telemarketer. I assume that's a terrible job because people hate you. I mean, you you get a lot of yeah. verbal abuse. That's my assumption. I'm sure, yeah, right. Yeah, they probably get yeah. so happy when someone actually talks to them. Like even if yeah, someone's well, just polite, no I try to be yeah, polite. Yeah. I'm always like, "Thank you, thank you," but no, not interested. Thank you very much. Like I try to be polite, but yeah, that's considered like one of the worst jobs according to many polls um, in today's world is telemarketer. What else you got? Well, there's some other ones. I think one that um, surprised me a, a little bit. Uh, again, mine are still on there, but uh, one that didn't surprise me, I guess. But I definitely was like, "Oh yeah, that would be a tough job as a slaughterhouse worker." Okay. So you work in the slaughterhouse and they're saying it's like a necessity for like a society that eats meat, but they're saying a lot of times, you know, they're, they're filthy, they're dirty, even with standards that they have. And you're just literally, there's animal body parts and byproducts over place. Like the walls are literally covered with blood and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just a lot sometimes. And it sounds vile, but it's like, again, it's just a necessity. If people are going to eat meat and, you know, you're going to have processed meat. That's one of the things that has to happen, and people have to do that. And you, but you just slaughter animals all day long. Going along with like telemarketer, customer service advisor, like you know, don't shoot the messenger idea. Like when you call because like something's like not right with your cable, and, and you know, of course, like oh, did you try turning it on and off again? And you're already so done by then. You're like, yes, of course I did that. Like <laughs> again, you try to be kind, but like that could be a little, uh, you know. The other one that I saw was promotional mascot. You know, where you have to like dress as a mascot and just run around because there's a store sale or something like I see people, so you know, when you see them standing on the side of the road with like yeah, signs just, like Ashley's just having a furniture sale. And I like I always feel so bad. Like there there have been times in my life where I've literally stopped and given them cold water, like just bottles of water because you're just like, dude, like that job must suck. But again, I mean, a job's a job sure at the end not, of the day. It's not hazardous necessarily, I guess. Did you see pet? You could be a pet food taster. I saw that one, and they said some people actually enjoy it, but I don't know why Uh, you want to do that again. If you have the palate for it, why not? I don't know how well it pays. I don't know why it matters what the pet with a dog food tastes like, though. Yeah, but some people like. Remember, we live in 2022. I've just literally recently read an article that what used to be let's buy a house and have children, the American dream. Now it's like let's have a condo. And let's like, if you get a dog, that's like the biggest step in a relationship now. Like that's like a child. Yeah. You have a dog. So, okay. I mean, I, you know, and obviously like we've had dogs, you and I, like you treat them like family. So I guess, I mean, I'm yeah, not going to eat their food. I, I'm not going to eat their food. I mean, even when my yeah. kids were younger, I didn't want to eat that baby food either. I didn't do that. Oh, like, that's gross. Yeah. Like, I wasn't doing that. I'm, I'm not, definitely not going to eat dog food. I do remember like at times making my sister eat dog biscuits. You're a terrible person. I know. I know. I, I know for a fact I would like put her in a headlock. Uh, and make her I eat. see her. I, if you're listening, I'm make, so make sorry. Her, make her eat dog biscuits. I remember doing that at times. A terrible I, brother. I never, I, I never had them. Not my uh, <laughs> uh, Portable toilet cleaner today. It was very similar to what we talked about in ancient history stuff. I mean, yeah, only you're going to be a little more sanitized and stuff like that. You're in like yeah. suits and you have the mask. It's not just cleaning that. You know, you're not you're not selling it. You're not like the, the the collectors from that you were talking about earlier. 
but yeah, there. Do you see the average pay for for a portable toilet cleaner per year? Was it, yeah, fifty one thousand dollars. Fifty one thousand dollars. And then you have the roadkill collector. Remember, uh, what's the name of that place? When we were younger, we used to go there to uh, for the zoo, and they would like bring roadkill all the time to feed the lions. Uh, Space farms. Space farms. Great place. I mean, I still, I, I think it's 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 Americana, but I, I remember like when they would bring, they had a deal where you know there was there was roadkill. The roadkill was dropped off at the zoo, so that way, you know, the the animals could eat it. But that's your job. You're a roadkill collector. I mean. Especially in like around here in Jersey, with all the deer and everything else that you, uh, or skunk, just, lots of skunk, skunk, yeah, fox, bears occasionally, but it's mostly yeah, deer, raccoon. Maybe you need to come around and collect that stuff. Well, I guess a lot of it probably falls under like the uh, the, the town, the uh, parks, parks department, but yeah, they're they're there, they got to pick it up and they need somewhere to put it. Craziness. The only one I saw that was still like intense was um, the crimes, the crime scene cleaner, yeah, cleaner. Yeah, so yeah. you don't really see this on like those CSI shows. You, they come in and they, you know, they get all the information and they could find out who's doing what. But then the uh, crime scene cleaner has to come in and they have to clean it up. I mean, a lot of times these places, you know, are in a housing development or someone's house or something like that, a restaurant, let's say, and they need to clean it up. And they, sometimes it can take hours because they have to, you know, really scrub and get all of the um, blood stains, body parts, fluids and stuff like that, other gory things removed from the scene and it has to be like as if it was never there. So that that's your job. You have to clean it and then disinfect everything. And it's going to be morbid too. Yeah. Do you see one of the most dangerous jobs right now is being a logger? Yeah. Like logging. loggers die every year. Yeah. Just just cutting trees. Yeah. That's nuts. Well, I had a lot of students. They said it was a dangerous job. This was years ago. They were going to work up in Alaska and they were going to work on the pipe. They were going to be underwater welders. Dude, that's supposed that, to pay so much money it, to be. It an pays a lot of money, lawyer. but it's dangerous because you, if you if something goes wrong, you have to you wear this like underwater suit that like has you know a, a current running through it to warm up uh, hot water inside of the suit. So otherwise, you'll freeze as you're, on, you're doing that. So they paid a lot of money, but you also if like there was a suit malfunction or something like that, that's it. You would just freeze to death almost it, you know, very quickly. So there wasn't much they could do to help you. So that, that was one reason why I paid so much. Some of these other jobs that we talked about didn't really pay much. I don't know how much, you know, a vomit collector got paid back in the Roman times. But yeah. Underwater welding. There you go. That's the way to go. Maybe That's we should change go. our professions. Maybe this yeah, is the way to go. You know what? Why not? I'm sure my wrong. wife would love to move to Alaska. And, <laughs> I mean, hey, it yeah. might be adventurous. Come on. Yeah. Change, maybe, change your scenery. Maybe. maybe. So anyway, I mean, I think this was a, a pretty good introduction to some crazy history yeah bad jobs and, and you know we kind of capped it off with some modern jobs that people consider to be bad who knows maybe in a hundred years they'll look at the jobs that we mentioned just now and say these were the worst jobs of the, the early 2000s ever yes who knows yeah happened. or rather you know the the 20s we're in the, yeah, 20s, the 20s now again. Yeah. anyway so thank you so much everyone for tuning in once more we really do appreciate you tuning in if you ever need to reach us you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com We are here if you have any questions, comments, or reactions. And I guess that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody.
I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II, and people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.